Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. I'm your host, Alan Waima. Today, I'm hosting by myself, but we have a very special guest. We have Baptiste Chalet. Welcome, Baptiste. How are you? Hello. I'm fine. That's good. You're coming in all the way from France, right? You said near Paris or in Paris? I'm in Paris right now with the big strike. Oh, yeah. How's it going over there with the strikes? I heard it's getting pretty crazy. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And not far from my home, actually. They should pass soon. How's this? I heard that, actually, I heard from a French guy that, although it seems like French people strike the most, that uh, he says that there's actually more strikes in Germany. Is that true? I, mean, I don't know about Germany, but I think it's not true. I'm pretty sure there is more strike in France. It's like quite often. It's like a hobby, right? Yeah, second nature. Are you, how come you're not out there striking? Oh, I mean, I'm not really concerned for that. Actually, uh, I have my own business, so it's not for me. It's more about pension and people who are employees. So it's not my fight today. Oh, not your fight today. Is it going to be your fight some other day? Have you ever been out there striking before? No, it could be my fight. It depends if they, they want to raise the tax of like the, the people who have business. It could be my fight. Uh, yeah, that I understand what you mean. Yeah, it seems like the government never has enough money, enough things to take away from people sometimes. But uh, I hope things get cooled down and gets all figured out. But in, in any case, I mean, your article is more so about staying inside and playing a nice game, right? Yes. So you, you wrote this really interesting article called about something called Pro Build X. You mind to give it a, a quick introduction? So basically, the League of Legends games have a public API, and from this API, you can get a lot of interesting stats, but you cannot use the API as is to build, like, let's say, a front-end. You have like to collect the data, put it in your own database, and then after that, you can start building some front-end to display the data. There is a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff you can do with this data, like find the best player, find the best items. Okay, that sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, I saw that you specifically had a use case where you were trying to find other pro players. Is that what you call it for League of Legends? Not really. I mean, in this case, uh, I try to find pro players. So I'm using um, another uh, open API, which is uh, from a, a company that do that for their business. They have like their, their pro build for a business and like they are nice enough to, to share uh, the pro player. So we take advantage of that to, to like uh, use that in, in this uh, tutorial. Now, when you say pro player, you're talking about professional player, like people get paid for, or you're talking it's, about people who are really good in playing this game? It's like uh, people who are paid for playing this game. It's like they are the, the open ladder and the professional ladder, but pro player, they, they play on both. Like they don't not only play with pro, they will play with like the public. And the data that we collect here is like when pro players play on the public ladder. Wait, so there's people who are actually getting paid to play League of Legends? Yes, they are paid, actually. They, pay, they play for a living. I mean, I would love to play games for a living, but how do you get this kind of job? You have to be good. You have to be young. You have to be dedicated, like uh, any pro. That's not you though, right? No, I'm not good enough. I was never good enough to, to be pro. And I guess I cannot just play all the time. I get bored. I like to, to change a bit as well. Yeah, I don't know if I can keep playing the same game all the time. I'm just like, do you have any idea, like, what's the, how do they make, you know, what is the value that they get paid from? Is it sponsorship? Is that what it is? Yeah, sponsorship. Sponsorship and price pool. Price pool for tournament. 
Oh, yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying, right? You get into a tournament and at the end you have a bucket of prize money, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Big yeah. prize. Uh, I don't know. It's, I, I know that esports is a, is a huge thing. And actually, you used to work at an esports company, right? Yeah, I work at the esports company, uh, I mean, called pandascore.co. And uh, we were doing uh, this kind of things, actually collecting data on a real pro match of esports and like giving this data, making them available in API and uh, instantly. That's interesting. I mean, what's kind of like your history? How, how did you start getting into something like this? So I went to a school called, called Forti2. It's like a peer-to-peer programming school. And then after that, it was my first uh, internship. So I went to work there. At this place, we have like a huge raise application and some Node.js service. And I don't know, like uh, I like games, like I play games for a very long time. So, so this like... Uh, the business of this company, which was really small at the time I, I come to work with them, we were like five. It, it was very like, it, it suits me. Yeah. Okay. And like, why did you choose to work at this kind of place? You just, is because you like video games so much and just thought it could be fun to, to get into something like this? Yeah, actually, I, I got two choices. I wanted to work in food tech or uh, gaming. Like, so I choose gaming. Food tech? Like Uber Eats, something like that, delivery, something oh, about food. You don't like food? Cool. I thought French people really love food. That's what I was here. It's like, I was oh, here. I like food. Yeah, but like food is, is like a big ceremony in, in France or in the French culture, no? It is, it is. But this day you can get good de- good delivery on those kind of apps. Okay, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. I just thought that that sounds really interesting. It sounds more interesting to me than, than games. But I mean, each one has their own challenges, right? So mm-hmm. you think you made the right choice? I think so, yeah. I really like uh, this. And I, I like the idea that it's like something that is completely online. Like we are not really connected to the real world. Like it's like we stay online all the time. I, I like this idea that you are like completely online when you do a service. You don't have physical stuff to manage and like problem. You don't feel like you're in the matrix with all this? Uh, a bit, a bit, but it's nice. It's nice to be in the matrix. You're like in control. You're just a, you're just a battery, right? That's what mm. everybody was as a battery. No, you're like an operator, mostly, not a battery. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in the esports, right? So the esports company, you guys were doing what exactly? You're like trying to do similar with like the rankings, gathering data, this kind of stuff? We do that. But also the interesting part was like we follow the a stream, a stream like a live stream of, of the, the professional uh, games. And we transform this live stream in like, in, we make the data available in like a web socket. And for that, there was a lot of data scientists working with a team of developers. And like they, they analyze, uh, they take a, a frame every like three seconds and they try to understand what's happened in this frame. Like decrypting the traffic, uh, like for like an online model? Not really. It's more like the, the stream is like, uh, when I see the stream, it's like the video live stream. And like they are, they are like, uh, you have like a, a picture of, of the game and you like check read the score there, like check what happened in the game. You know, there is like a kill feed. There is like many stuff happening in the game and you will like make this data available uh, directly for your clients. Oh, I mean, people would be paying for this. So it's like kind of like really as soon as possible, try to get the, the data out to people. Yeah, so basically this like is more for betting. It, it went into betting and it's more like people want to know what happened right away and like do some uh, betting on that, like who we'll get the first kill in this game. Oh. Obviously, who we'll would win the game, but they want to have like uh, a lot of market for one game, like who will we do the first kill, who will we kill the first tower, who will we'll do 
mean, many, many, there is many, many markets you can do for one, one kind of game. Okay, so people would want to know as soon as possible and have an idea about who, yeah, who would be, would be ahead so they can make a bet and win, right? Yeah. That's exactly. interesting. Now, did you, were you actually sometimes surprised by the outcomes of these kinds of matches? Like somebody looks like they're going to be winning and all of a sudden there was a, a coup de Jean-Noc and uh, another guy won? It's possible, but in League of Legends, there is not much like, uh, I mean, at some point, if one team is really, really ahead, uh, what do you say? The flow uh, is not going to reverse. Oh, uh, yeah. So basically, if it was, uh, yeah, like you said, some guy was so far ahead that there's no way it could be turned around, you're saying. Mm -mm. I think a lot of games are like that. I remember my dad talking about like the, I mean, obviously, I'm from US, so we more so follow the Super Bowl. And usually it goes uh, for every Super Bowl every year. It's like it's either a very tight match or it's a complete what we call blowout. Like you said, one guy is so far ahead that you can never catch up. It's either one or the other. It's never anything else. Yeah, it's like that. For League of Legends, it's like that. For other games that we, we cover at the time, like Overwatch, I'm not sure you, you heard about this one. It's like, it can be closer, closer, and the flow can reverse. Just popped up a game, yeah. I've heard of Overwatch, but I don't know much about it. So, but this is, how do I say? But your, your project, I mean, you, you kind of lean... There's no, I mean, how do I say this? For this pro build, right? It's not directly related to your previous job, but it's in the same domain. Uh, no, sorry. Yeah. Now I remember because I did read the article, but it's it's quite late for me over here. It's eleven thirty at night, so oh. I'm still trying to stay awake. Sorry about that. But what I'm trying to say is like I remember in your article you talked about that when you worked at that esports company, you wrote something kind of similar to this pro build. What is yeah, in Python, right? Yes. And it, it was like working, but there was always some minor problem happening. And uh, when I did it at the time, I feel like it was very interesting to do because uh, I learned about uh, many interesting stuff while doing that, like database transaction. What else? I have a full list on my article. But, mm -hmm. And I feel like it was, I mean, it's, it's one of the first projects uh, I rewrited in, in Elixir to, to have something very stable. And then... I was promised to myself that someday I will uh, write a full tutorial about how to do this kind of uh, this kind of stuff. And like four years later, like I got some time and I finally uh, did it. And I added some extra goodies, like uh, because this day uh, I use Live View and like I feel like oh it's it's nice. Like we can do something like a really like full full app with like a pipeline to collect the data a nice front end to display it, some real-time features, like a lot of nice things that we have with uh, Phoenix and Live View. But let's go back to the original one, right? I want to hear more about that one. So that was for a, a client. They actually wanted something, right? If I remember correctly. Yes. So the, the project that was similar, it was like for for professional coach. And like the idea is that on League of Legends, you can like ban some character when you, you are going to play at, uh, against another uh, pro team. And the idea is basically, okay, I will look what the other pro players uh, are playing on the public ladder. And then if they play a lot of this character, it means they want to play it in the professional ladder. So we will ban this character. You get it? Yeah, you're trying to stop like an unfair advantage, right? Is that how it goes? Not really, but it's like, uh, I'm not sure you could do that in other sports. Because pro players, they are not going like to play in the public and like show their strategy. But it's like okay. this one because they play on public, you can like uh, scoot them, like check what they are doing, and like 
and like try to counter them just by like by checking what they are doing on the public. And you can learn like you know, their strategies and what kind of moves that they're doing and their kind of style, right? Yeah, I mean, it's specifically it was about character because uh, for League of Legends there is like a lot of character, and for each game you will pick one character and like. Uh, you can ban characters, as I say, in professional game. They can ban some characters that they don't want to see in their game. So basically, if you see like they they are really really good at this character, you should like ban it and like make them play something else that maybe they didn't train as much as this one to give you like uh, an edge. Now, when you say you ban, right? You're saying like if you were to challenge this person, you can actually choose the the rules of playing League of Legends with them when you when you're in some kind of tournament with them, or how? Yeah, it's, it's I mean, it's not me who choose, but like uh, we give the data to the the coach of those professional team, and with the data they will like check the before their match they will like check the the data and say oh okay, uh, so on the opposite team this girl is really good with this champion, so we should ban this champion. Okay, that's well. I mean, it makes sense for that team, but that seems kind of strange to to do that for the team that's good at that character because that's obviously what you want to have, right? It's like, it's more like, uh, yeah, when you ban a character, you also cannot take it for yourself. But as I said, there is a okay. lot of characters. So maybe they don't practice this one, so they don't really care. They just like want to get an edge on the other team. It's like, yeah, just like us get an edge by banning uh, uh, banning the best character of those or team. Yeah, but this is public data for some of these matches, right? And you could yeah. just as easily kind of like, you know, put some crappy character that you didn't really care, that you're not really that great at and have like a secret character in your back pocket that you're really good at. <laughs> Actually, like, the they do that. Well, that like, I mean, it makes say, sense. They, they have a secret account like that no one knows it's them who are playing this one and like they practice a, a character but you don't know it's them. So, of course, uh, because th this kind of like scooching, it, it happened a lot at the beginning. So I guess this day, uh, I'm not sure it's still relevant to do that. I think, yeah, it doesn't work anymore. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that just makes sense, right? Why would I <laughs> publicly play as that person if you know you can ban it, right? But yeah, at least it banned for both sides. That's interesting. Um, but like you said, it's not really a useful strategy anymore, right? Because you're saying people just have another account that they practice with. Yeah, I think this day, so many characters. And I mean, it's like, it's the same game, but uh, there really is so many characters uh, those past years. So I, I'm not sure it's a relevant technique anymore. But I mean, if there's so many characters, there have to be so many overlapping characters. So if you ban one, you still got four or five others that should be similar, no? Mm, that's hard to say because... When they, they release a new character, is always a bit overpowered. Like like these people, they like buy it, you know, like and they like to to shift as well, make some character better than other for some time, and then switch, uh, rotate like that, rotate the character a bit, so it changes all the time. It's like it's, that's why it's interesting thing to collect the data and like you can see if for dispatch which character it got the best win rate and like the next patch or, or it shift like yeah so so then yeah you can also so i guess you could still use the data like you said another way where you can say okay which characters are most likely to win and even in what kind of situations right with against mm -hmm. maybe other characters yeah actually some other website they do they do those kind of stats like this character have like what percentage of chance against another character it makes sense. And these kind of services, are they all for free? Or I mean, it must be some like quote unquote pro or, or like 
you know, you, you have to pay money to get some real stats from that, right? Actually, there are uh, other websites that do like a really better probable data mine, which is like uh, fit in uh, five articles. There are some really like professional uh, websites and they give like very good stats for free. And then uh, I'm not sure about premium websites who do that. Maybe there is, but I don't know about the very premium one. I guess it's more like for professional who want like uh, something very specific. Oh, so all this information is basically all out there for free. And they have something kind of similar yes. to yours where you're just scraping data off of APIs and compiling it for people to see, right? Yes, exactly. Oh, okay, I see. But but going back to the application that you, you created, you did it in Python, right? So out of all languages, why you choose Python? Oh, at first it was, you know, to be like closer to the data scientist team, like because they were using Python for their for their stuff, like about image and stuff. <laughs> so it was just like that. But I didn't do that much Python at the time. But yeah, it's like a lot of error, through error all the time. Then yeah, it's like crash my application. I have to restart it. I have to fix the bug. And and at the same time, we were like uh, trying Elixir for some other parts. And I found it like, oh, it's so nice. We have supervisor. We have like, it's like I just run my app and then I come back like one week after that. And oh, it's still working, like <laughs> it's still up and running. That's so nice. Now, I'm kind of curious, were you using Flask or Django or what kind of stack were you using for Python? It was just like, huh, actually, yeah, something like Flask and something like some kind of small ORM for Python. But uh, I forgot what was it. Okay. It's maybe Alchemy. Or alchemy, uh, yeah, yeah. Alchemy, yeah, maybe something like that. Yeah, SQL alchemy, alchemy. probably. That's one of the big mm-hmm. ORMs. Yeah, and then probably Alembic for doing the database migrations, I suppose. Mm, yeah, that's possible. I don't remember it that much. And I don't have access to the code anymore. <laughs> now, where did who actually brought Alexa into the company? Were you there when this first happened? When people started? Uh, yeah, it was the the CTO. He was like a, a Ruby guy, and but uh, he was like interested about Elixir because the syntax was like quite uh, quite close, and uh, the performance uh, looked better than uh, Ruby. And there was like Phoenix, and there was a big uh, raise up that there was a bit uh, everything. And actually, we use like uh, Node.js at the same time to do some real-time stuff. And we have Python, so we have like a lot of different stuff, like a lot of different language. It was a bit difficult to onboard new people because there is so many different parts. And so we experiment uh, with some Elixir project. Like it was uh, the first thing <laughs> was not the easiest. We did some kind of uh, of uh, Docker swarm. It's like we tried to do some kind of Kubernetes, actually, uh, but it was long, long time ago. It was not there yet. And we have something like that could like uh, spread job, uh, distribute job on different machines because at this time, uh, Docker Swarm was not supporting uh, GPU and CPU. And like we have like a lot of Python jobs. Some need CPU, some need GPU. So we did some kind of like... Uh, some kind of like a, a puppeter in Elixir that we like uh, that we install on a lot of machine and like the node we like talk together and say oh okay so we have this job this job want to go on the on this uh, GPU machine this one wants CPU and who is the charge of this machine and we did something like that in Elixir it was working uh, okay okay and at mm-hmm. at some point. Uh, then the the Rise app was migrated to a Phoenix app, like the the Node.js app were also migrated to to uh, Elixir. So like for the 
for the, the developer, um, I mean, not the data scientists, they stay in Python always, but for the developer part, it was scaling like more like Elixir, like for all the project and like this, it's easier for one dev to switch to another project. Now, when you start, guys start working on Elixir, right, it's very different than other kinds of programming, especially uh, Phoenix, right, or sorry, uh, Python, because I mean, Python is very traditional class object based. You extend things, you can... I think they got mixed. Mm-hmm. They, they have something like a mix in, right? You can just kind of add additional methods, but not actually extend the class. Something yeah, like yeah, that. you can do a, a class inheritance. But I thought they have something similar to Ruby's mix in, but maybe I, I maybe I remember wrong. But in any case, any case, there it's object oriented nonetheless, right? And using Elixir later, it's totally different. Like you don't have any objects. You just have modules and structs. Before I, I do Pythons, I used to do uh, Node.js. I mean, it was my, my main thing before. And I was already looking in like uh, functional programming in JavaScript. So when I, I have to move in uh, Elixir, I was not too, it was not too hard, I guess, to make the move. And I was a lot of Ruby experience as well. So I mean, combining all of that, it was the, the the switch was not too hard. Okay, so that's that's good to hear because what I do find is a lot of people struggle because like they're used to calling methods on objects and they're used to things mutating and and all this kind of stuff. So they have a hard time to understand or like they'll pass something to a function and expect that the thing has been mutated, but actually they need to, it's been transformed, but they never, what I call catch it, they never actually like put that into a variable They use it again later. They're still using Mm -hmm. the old one from before. How did your team kind of get up to speed with how to use Elixir? Because really it's quite different, right? Like we talked about. Actually, funny thing about this company is like, for the test, technical test, we like to do something. Um, people will come and we will talk with them and say, okay, so what you are programming in? Like, oh, you are doing Python, so you are doing Ruby. And then we will give them a technical test in a language that they don't know at all, just to see like how they adapt and <laughs> just to see what, what happened if we like. Actually, I, I have to do that as well. Like, So I didn't do any Ruby when I, I interviewed there and then they give me a, a test in Ruby. So I have to do it. So... It was more about not. We were a very small team at this time, so so the the people that they hired didn't know Elixir. After that, we just like hire people that they they can adapt to a new language, like even if they were like PHP developer or like JavaScript, whatever. It was more about like the technical test. Oh, is it good? Like, oh, is the first time they do Elixir? Like, I'm not sure. Like that. That's how how we do. We I mean how we we do there. But when you're doing this technical test in another language, are you able to Google for things or how do you kind of solve it? Because some languages are really... Oh, this there. one, it was like a home test. It's like one interview at the company and then it was a home test. And then after that, they will send the link to the repo and we will like we will look into the code and like, is it, does it work? We like it or not? And then like, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so it's just to see if you can survive in another language that you had no previous experience, right? Is, yes, what is like yes. the what kind of test did they ask you to to do? So the test was like you have to use uh, an API actually uh, because it's like a company that sells an API. We, you have to use the API of the company, and with the API, you have like to calculate some uh, some odd some betting odd for uh, one team against another team. The test was uh, about that. I'm not sure what it is now because uh, I quit the company for many years now, but it was something uh, like that at this time. 
Okay, that's interesting. I'm kind of curious, like, do you have to write tests or what are kind of the grading criteria on that? Mm, uh, first, uh, <laughs> do we hear from them again? Because some people, they come, they get the test, they never come back. So that's uh, an important criteria, I think, <laughs> the first one. And then after that, it was more about like, how they solve the problem, like... Uh, like, let's say some people, it, it was interesting because, uh, so it's the first time they have to do something in Elixir. And like some people, they will bring just plug, like, and try to, to do stuff with just plug, try to do like very, very minimal. I think it was an OGS developer. So he tried just to pull like the smallest amount of sleep possible to make something very, very minimal. Some people, they will like pull Phoenix and just do it with Phoenix. And then I'm not sure, like, it was about, do we understand the code when we read it? It's not like we don't have like a, a specific grid like and like a rate like that. It was a bit, uh, it was startup, startup time. And that's how we, we proceed at the time. Okay. So it's very much kind of feeling based and just kind of looking at the style and seeing what you can see there, right? Yes. Now, have you ever seen somebody just like completely uh, just go in a whole different way that you're just like, okay, at least he tried, but this is just... It's not going to work out. Mm, yeah, actually, we saw some some code that's quite unreadable, look unmaintainable. Like it was just, you know, like I'm not sure to say, but it was quite hairy, like difficult to understand what they are doing, and like naming of stuff is like a equal equal something, like b like oh, <laughs> difficult to to find yourself. But yeah, I guess a good naming is important. People really do that? I've heard of this, but I've never seen it. People will do names like A, B, C. Yeah, it's happened. <laughs> I heard the story. Some people, they, they use like a girl's name to, to do variable. like <laughs> A girl's name, like Kelly or... or yeah, some... Kelly equals one. <laughs> what is Betty that? Betty <laughs> equals. <laughs> okay. Maybe there's something on his brain at the time or that person's brain at the time. I don't know. Maybe he's busy trying to think of a, a girl's name for his you know, next uh, daughter. I don't know. It's a little bit weird, but all right. Or maybe uh, obfuscation. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> obfuscation by girl's name. Well, it worked, right? Because you didn't know what's going on. So, I mean, I, I've had situations where like, I don't know what it was, but like this Indian developer that uh, previous company of mine hired out for, like they had, I don't know, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember like there was elements in the HTML that had like the ID was called class two. And then the 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 class was called like ID three or something. It was very weird. It didn't make any sense. Mm. It, yeah, yeah, it was super crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was didn't make any sense. I was like, what what the heck is going on? How could it be so bad? And then when you style that, he's do point ID, dot ID. It's confusing. They were like, here, this guy wrote it. They're like, here, this team in India did this website for us. Can you like edit it? And I was like, all right, let me check it out. What is that? And then I was like, no, we can't do it. We can't use this at all. I just drew it away. Did it from scratch. It's, it's, I, <laughs> this is horrible. I couldn't stand oh, it. Yeah. Okay, so that's interesting, you guys' background, right? So, you know, for any kind of new language, it seems like the team generally has a easy way or tends to be able to figure it out because of the way that you guys hire, right? Yeah, we didn't uh, hire. I mean, AXR this time was not like, not, I mean, it was, what, 2017? I think in France, it was quite dead at this time. I mean, there was no Elixir yet uh, at this time. Like, mm -mm. when the, the CTO uh, told me about Elixir, I never heard about it. Like, it was all about Node.js at the time. Like, Node.js and Go was starting, I think. But yeah, I just like like it. What did you like about it? Because I, I come from, like, PHP, then Node.js. 
I like like the, I mean, before that, I also do a bit of raise and I like the, the conventions for Phoenix. I really like the conventions. When you start to understand like the gen server things, like the, the supervisor things, it's like, I don't know, it's like, it makes sense, you know, it makes sense. And like, it's completely functional. I mean, I feel like it was uh, easier to test that what uh, the other project I did before, it was not too hard to, to do some, to write some tests for my, my Elixir code. Hmm, what tests I like? Yeah, I guess that's all. Okay. I mean, to me, the learning the language is not too difficult, but learning all the OTP and everything else underneath was probably a lot more complicated. It took me quite a few years to kind of wrap my head around it. And I still don't think I have my whole head around it because it's so big and it takes... You may not know exactly which ones you want to use for which kind of occasion unless you actually had a huge experience in different types of applications. I mean, do, do you, mm, I yeah, mean, that, that's true. Yeah, and and it's not many languages world. have the supervision tree idea, right? So, I mean, it sounds like you like the supervision tree, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm, I like to draw like some some schema about like uh, who it's going to be and like if this fail or you're going to recover from it, which like in Node.js actually, I have no idea why I do that. It's like, if there is a crash, it's like everything have to restart. Let's say, uh, I remember when I used uh, some like uh, the Node daemon, it's like to make it uh, restart if something crash. And in Elixir, it's like way more organized. You can organize it like way better. Like I really like stuff that are very like uh, going box, like really well organized, tidy. Yeah. I mean, when you started, like, I guess another hard thing is like the ideas of the processes, right? And how that could be multi-core and everything. I mean, was that complicated idea for you? Because Node.js, I mean, there's, if you want to do multi-core, you just spin up multiple processes. Yeah, you have to spawn. Yeah. Like one process per process per core. And in, in like Elixir, you don't really have to, to think about that. But that's a good thing. Yeah. How, how did you feel when, when you got to that part? I mean, did you feel like, wow, this is pretty nice? And did it feel like difficult mm. for you or was it hard? Then to I, I discovered some, some other kind of bug because you, you're like spawning too much task. And then like, let's say you are trying to consume an API, then you will like get time out because like, you, you are like spamming like too much. So... Sometimes uh, I feel like yeah, you have all those tasks and you can spawn a lot of tasks, but it's not necessary for the stuff. So you have like to, to bring it uh, when you need it. But that's really an option that is very easy to, to do in Elixir. Yeah, true. How about like gen servers, right? I mean, if you understand gen servers, you can do channels in Phoenix and you can obviously, you can do uh, Phoenix uh, Live View. I mean, those are a little bit weird too, right? Compared yeah, to other kind of programming languages, I think. Yeah, it makes, I mean, uh, it takes time to know like uh, when to use that. Like I remember yeah, when I started, uh, I would try to, I make too much gen server for like nothing sometime. Like it was not necessary. You have like, uh, it's a bit hard to, um, to explain, but I don't know, like this day, sometimes I will use just an agent first to do some small cache. Uh, then I will like uh, use agent server because I want to do some extra thing. Yeah, you have like to, I don't know, for me, it, it come over the years and you will see, oh, this thing, I could do it differently. Yeah. So you've used gen services cache. Yeah, I've used a little bit of gen services cache. Recently, we have to because we have this external service that we have to pull data from and it takes forever to pull data. I think they have it hosted in Australia and our servers in Chicago. So mm, it takes yeah, forever it. to pull the data, number one. Number two, it's an ancient service, like one of those very like old ones that has lots of data in it. We actually got in trouble with them because somehow we managed to create one million access tokens <laughs> when we were testing. <laughs> I don't know how the heck we even did that. It was like me, an- another guy, and we have like two servers, like one test and one kind of semi-production while we're still developing. 
And between four different machines, he managed to create one million uh, access tokens, allegedly. I don't know. I still have a hard time to believe that. I don't even know how that's possible. How do you create one million of these things? It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. Maybe he's being dramatic. It could be a lot of crash and recovery. Who knows? That'd be a lot of crashes and recoveries. I mean, I see the logs. I don't think there's that many crashes, recoveries. It's like one a second, maybe. That's a lot of seconds. But yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I guess it's a problem. He says he's very angry with us and wants to have a talk, but I just didn't reply. <laughs> just <laughs> fixed it. I stored the token in the database now, so it should be less complaints. But yeah, I mean, that's another thing you got to be careful too, right? Elixir can be so powerful that you can literally take down other systems if you're not careful. Yeah, it's a great power outcome, great responsibilities. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, f I feel like a, a Jedi Knight, kind of, with my lightsaber, if that makes sense to you. Yes. Oh, actually, in the part three of my series, I think I, I bring a gen server to to do a cache for uh, the asset API of League of Legends because I didn't want like to store the image myself. It's like too much work and too much cost. So I make uh, some kind of like gen server cache that I will fetch the, the the asset at the beginning, some asset, and then I will fetch some other asset when it's requested, and then I will uh, cache them in the, the gen server. Okay. But for the, the League of Legends one, what made you decide to rebuild it in, in Elixir? So you're talking about my P P Python versions? Oh, like yeah, because I, you said that you, and I think you rebuilt it in Elixir outside of the company, right? No, no, inside of the company. Uh, actually, I mean, it was not only in a Python. There was a front end in Node.js, but the the pipeline, uh, the the the, the, the data collection was in Python. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, like uh, it's, it's a project that uh, it's me who have to to manage, and like always, like it was not like a daily a daily uh, project. It's like uh, let's say one times per month. We need like to get the data from that, and then yeah, sometimes I check and say, oh, they my Python crashed like two days ago, and oh, <laughs> I'm missing some data. It's not reliable, so I just like took one day to to redo it uh, in Elixir. Uh, I see. So you rebuilt an Elixir. But then for this article, though, you decided to build the same thing again, but add live viewing? Uh, it's not really the same thing. It's like the one I built in this tutorial is way more advanced than the one I built when I was in the company. And as I say, it was a company project, so I didn't take it with me, even if it was uh, scrapped. It didn't continue at some time. It was like a side project of the company. So, yeah. And I was uh, in this project, I focused to do something more like what's the big website about League of Legends that they are doing. It was uh, League of Legends have uh, a developer Discord. And here there is a lot of like developer, young developer that they don't know, like they wonder like, oh, what can you do with, with those data? Or can you make uh, a, a, website like, a, a website like that? So I was just, oh, okay, maybe they can come to Elixir. Who knows? Like uh, I will make them try Elixir through my tutorial, which, which is a good thing. You know, bring like uh, more people to Elixir. That people who like League of Legends, League of Legends, and they they are curious, like, oh, we could do that. And we, the good point is, like, with Elixir, you can do the data collections, the front end, some real time within just like uh, just using Phoenix. That that's very nice. So, did your master plan actually work? Did you manage to bring people over to the Elixir side? I think I could get some. I got some uh, people that they said they they enjoy they really enjoyed the tutorial and they, it was their first time working with Elixir and they, they complete the series. So uh, not that much. Huh? I think I only got two people contact me. So then there are the people who didn't like tell me if they they finish. But two more uh, people interested in, in Elixir, it's good. <laughs> 
Oh, two, yeah, that's two more than I was imagining. But yeah, that's that's interesting. <laughs> Did you get anybody who wanted to like, you know, maybe extend or add more features or even request more features from your side? No, actually, uh, I didn't get any. Like, I tried to open it to that because I keep the project uh, online. So it, uh, now it's been like uh, four months that the project is running, still collecting data, still working. With very like, I didn't do much. Just recently, uh, I went to the project to to fix some problem with with uh, with one query, with one miss, missing some index. So just to make it fast again. But actually, it's quite stable. That, that's what I wanted. It's quite stable. I don't have to do much. It's just like up and running. It's a little bit boring, right? If the thing is always working, no? <laughs> so actually, so the first problem I got is like uh, the database grow too big and I have to like resize it on fly, but it was very easy with uh, fly out. I think I have to type like two command, like fly resize to 10 gigabyte and restart. And then it was good. And then, uh, yeah, recently uh, there was this query problem, but that was more like a mistake uh, of my part. And I didn't expect to have that much data. Like when you start to have a database of like uh, 1.5 gigabyte, if you have some slow query, it, yeah, it starts to show. Well, how did you actually manage to analyze and figure out that that the database was a problem and, and how did you manage to figure out how to make it faster? Uh, so I use a PG stat, a PG stat statistic or statistic stat. I forgot the name. So it's the extension of Postgres. So actually, yeah, I thought it was an interesting process. So I write an article about that. I released it this morning. So uh, yeah, actually, I debugged it while I was in Thailand one week ago. I was in holiday, and I was like, "Oh, why it's so slow? Like, I will fix it." So I, I used the the PG stats. Uh, then I, I found like, "Oh, why the query is taking eight seconds? That's very, very, very slow." <laughs> and I use uh, explain, analyze, and then I, I uh, check a bit what I did. Why it's so slow? Then I have to create an index on the the key that I use in the order by. And then after that, I realized, oh, but I'm using some left join. It doesn't work with the key. So I have to use uh, inner join for this case. Yeah. But yeah, with PG, uh, PG statistic, it was uh, not too hard to find it. And just, yeah, using explain, analyze and check the step that uh, that uh, have the, the highest cost and then uh, try to understand what it is like. Uh, I'm going on Stack Overflow, reading a bit. Even I try to use a chat GPT to tell me, oh, uh, what happened here? Like, uh, how can I make it fast? But it didn't really help, actually. That's yeah, that's interesting. So the the query that was going bad that was uh, for the first page. You only have one page, I think, right? I think I saw on yours. Just one page. Okay. So how's the? I mean, it seems pretty quick now. I mean, is it like is it because you added a couple indexes and maybe rewrote some queries? I mean, it's so much faster now no yeah we're faster i went like i think he, it's like eight times faster or something like that yeah eight times faster and i, I changed like I, I use a scrivener which is like a offset uh, pagination and then i, I change for a cursor based pagination and then i skip the, the i have a, a very very slow slow uh, uh, count i have a very slow count uh, in the query as well so with the cursor i don't need to count so it's only one query now before it was like two and i have like 100,000 uh, row now in my database i see are you actually putting money on, on this now? Because you have a pretty big database. For now, it's cost like uh, less than $5 per month on Flyout. So it's free. If you are below the $5, it's free. So not really for now. We'll see if it go bigger and bigger. But 
I can always like get rid of the data and you know reset it and it will start to collect from uh, the current games like actual games so depends what I want to do next for now I just let it run and it will stay under five five dollar until uh, I'm I think uh, until I like uh, maybe I scale more my my uh, database I'm not sure okay now for this one this is I forget is it this is a multi-part tutorial right yeah it's a five-part tutorial oh, well <laughs> I got like uh, I was thinking maybe it can fit in one but then uh, it start to get so long so I like uh, split it split it and, like there is like one part about uh, the architectural part how we will do and how we will proceed then the part is about the pipeline, that it's about the context and what kind of query we'll do. And then there is one part about uh, the live view and then an extra part about the real time with the PubSub, with Phoenix PubSub, like that we will send the data that just got inserted. And then um, a small part about uh, how to deploy on fly.io. Okay. So, but how has been your experience on Fly.io? Because actually we just recorded an episode, I think it was last week, and we talked about deploying on different services. And I just started on Fly.io for a client and it was pretty straightforward the first time to get that going. But when I, we wanted another environment, it took a, uh, some time to figure it all out. And that was my one issue. Like the same project, but deployed to two different like apps. It took some time to mm-hmm. figure out. On Fly.io, actually, I just use it for the for OB. I, I don't have a, a real project on it. Like just this OB project. Like uh, in professional uh, job, we use I use Google Cloud, uh, AWS. So I'm not sure about the staging production environment, but for OB project, it was quite easy, you know, just like fly, uh, prepare something and then fly deploy and just like fly set uh, some secret and then you're good to go. Yeah, that was one thing I, I, I don't know if I like or not, but like I wanted to check the environment variables for the secrets and you could not really see that because I think they oh, never... No, you can. You can. You do Fly SSH yes, console. That's what I was going to say. Then, you, uh, you cannot and, see them from the terminal. You, you cannot, uh, sorry, no. you're not gonna, you cannot see them from like the, the terminal command. You cannot see them on the website. You have to, like you said, you have to SSH into mm-hmm. the machine and then do ENV and then you can see all of your environment variables. Yeah, that's the only way you can mm-hmm. do it. But I think that's good, you know, because uh, I mean, when you want to do the same thing on AWS, like open the SSH on a specific uh, server, is more complicated than uh, on fly.io. I like uh, to be able to access uh, the machine easily like that. It's nice to be able to open the shell easily on that. Yeah, I mean, to each their own. It's just, sometimes I just would like to see it or see a piece of it to make sure that everything's set properly. Like, because one of the, I mean, or you could say, okay, the secret, like like some secrets you can see, like, because they're going to be configuration and some are going to be like actual secrets that maybe you actually want to hide. That'd be kind of nice where you can say, okay, this is configuration. Like, have you ever done Kubernetes before? Yeah, we the previous project I was working, it was uh, on Kubernetes. And we could like, uh, I mean, we, we have the pod and we can uh, log in in the pod as well to like open some, uh, not UX, but uh, you can open the console as well to, to check some stuff or to do some uh, query directly uh, with Ecto if you need. But with, like with Kubernetes, right, you have config maps and you have secrets. And so you can set some of the configuration using config maps, which are not encrypted. But obviously the secrets are going to be encrypted. But even the secrets you can always decrypt because they're just base64 encoded. So it's pretty straightforward. Mm. 
So that's kind of nice. But uh, yeah, I, I understand like safety first, right? But uh, sometimes I want to oh, actually uh, me. I use like uh, something called Pass. It's a command line line tools that you can store like stuff inside password, but you can also store like pure text. And what I like to do is like actually I will store like secret for like a website inside that, and then I will just like put the secret inside the the website, you know, with a command line. So I have the secret locally in case, like because depending on the depending on where you host, yeah, maybe you cannot get the secret back. It can be a bit annoying, like if you have to edit, we uh, we generate a new token. It can be a bit annoying to do. Or if somebody else had to update it for you and didn't pass it back or whatever, right? I mean, there's so many different things that can happen for these kind of secret setting especially working with other people. Yeah, yeah, then you have to give the secret to someone else, but yeah, then it's not secret anymore. <laughs> yeah, this is another thing. This, there's no such thing as a secret, right? Have you ever heard the expression how to keep a secret with three people? No. Uh, the, the expression is you can keep a secret with two other people if the other two people are dead. <laughs> I see. Yeah, a little bit morbid, but kind of true, right? It's hard to keep secrets. But yeah, going, going back to your article, you said you want to also expand on this. I think you talked about that before the show, right? You wanted to actually expand on this article and do like another piece to it. Yeah. So I already published a piece to it. It's like, oh, I solved this uh, slow query problem. So I did that. I did that uh, last week and I, I write about it uh, yesterday and this morning. I publish it. So yeah, basically, uh, I create an index and oh, I find the slow query and some explanation along the way. Voila. And then after that, yeah, I'm not so sure. I would like to do, uh, if some people they're interested, uh, I would like to to expand to some other feature, like if some people they're interested to do another page on uh, on the probuild.fly.io. Like we have a lot of data now, so there is a lot of query we can do, like find what's the best, uh, the best champion for what patch find uh, which professional have the, the best win rate. There is uh, so much we can do now with all those data. So yeah, if there are some people interested, uh, they can contact me to, to have access to this database. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I wonder if anybody would ever contact you about this. I mean, I I'm not, I never play League of Legends, so it's <laughs> doesn't make uh, sense. It's quite specific. Yeah, exactly. It's I have very to find a, a League of Legends player and an AXL developer at the same time. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure you can find somebody. I'm not too sure if this podcast will help, but I hope it I hope it does. Yeah, I, I don't think I have any more questions about the article. It's pretty concise. You have it spread over five other, five pieces at least. So it gets pretty uh, in-depth and you have code samples and everything else. Yes. Is there something else you want to say about the topic or shall we transition over to picks? Oh, we can move to picks, I think. All right. Usually we let the guests go last, so even more time. <laughs> but my pick is a video game. I recently just started playing uh, Wolfenstein The New Order. So I'm a pretty big fan of FPS, first-person shooters. I just finished Doom before the podcast, 2016 Doom. I'm pretty happy that I finally beat that game. And then I had a big question of what do I do next? And uh, before that, I started playing around with Wolfenstein The New Order. Like I said, I played Wolfenstein 3D a long time ago, and I was pretty happy with it. I liked it. And I found out there's more Wolfenstein games since then because I haven't played games in a long time. And so now I'm starting to play Wolfenstein The New Order. That's my pick. It's a pretty good game. Check it out if you haven't. Baptiste, how about you? Uh, I would like to promote uh, my YouTube channel, which is about uh, a game that I like, which is League of Legends, the game. And uh, so my idea is like, I'm making an automated YouTube channel. And like I publish video automatically. 
And if some people in the Elixir community, they are interested about it and like they want some tips about uh, how to make that, I will be happy uh, to answer. Awesome. And with that, uh, thanks again for coming on and hopefully we'll have you back again on the future. 